0: Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. All right, uh, Acts chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to pray and we're going to rock and roll, get to this. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for every day that we have of life, God. Jesus, I pray as a church that we would not waste our days on things that are meaningless. Waste our days on things that are finite. Waste our emotions on things that don't add any value to our life. Today, God, we concentrate on the things that are most important. We concentrate on a creator who set the universe, who spoke life, who has a plan and who has truth. None of the baloney, God, that we constantly fill our minds with because we live here and you know that. You live this life and you show us a way to live a better life, and an eternal life. And I pray none of us would miss that. No one would come to Access Church, God, and not understand that they have freedom, truth, and a higher calling than any education, politician, or even family that they grew up in, Jesus. So speak to us today in your name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 19. We're down to final two weeks in Acts. Next week's gonna be really good because next week I'm gonna conclude with, uh, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, and we see the reason as far as how did Paul live a sustained life of outreach, and, and how, what's the key kind of building block for us to be effective in really reaching the world. We're going to talk about that next week and kind of conclude, and then we're jumping to the book of Luke, just so you know. If you want to start reading in advance, we're going to be going through Luke for, uh, for probably about four or five months, and so just a heads up on that. A couple more weeks in Acts, and then we are done. Um, I remember I had this old Ford truck, 1980, powder blue, uh, stick shift truck, and it had the the emergency brake that you used to pull from the bottom, right? Uh, and so, uh, so this one day I just remember driving, and I thought it was broke because it just wasn't moved. like, man, just it's not it's not going, and it felt like I'd get on the freeway and I, like it was struggling to go, and and uh, and so I I called a mechanic and. I'm like, hey, can I bring it in? And it's just, I could just tell like it was moving, but it wasn't really like going. There was something wrong. And as I was driving uh, to the, the mechanics, I noticed that, what was on? <laughs> mercy brake. And it wasn't all the way on, right? But somehow I didn't put, it was one of those you had to push it in. And I just, it just had, a, it gave a little what? It gave a little resistance. I don't know if you've noticed that in your life, whether personally your own relationship with Jesus or as you tried to like bring people to church or Jesus, like you have that desire, like man, this has changed my life, like I want you to experience. Have you noticed a little bit of what? Resistance. And I want to help you understand today that's actually normal. That's normal. In fact, resistance means there's success because without resistance, it means we're being ineffective. And the Bible sets the tone for that. But listen, this message of Jesus, this message of, hey, die to yourself and become alive in Christ. Most people aren't like, yeah, let me give up everything that I want, that I think, right? And give it to someone else that I can't even see. You got a lot of mental hurdles, emotional hurdles, different things. We see that in the book of Acts. I just want to, I want this to be a day of encouragement and hope for you to not give up. I also want it to be a day of hope for you that some of you you felt that resistance in your own life. You felt like that, I don't know, maybe you're not, you haven't given your life fully to Jesus yet. You like him, you like church, but you feel that emergency break. And I just want you to know you're okay, you're normal. And hopefully to give you hope that it's really nice when you turn that break off. Because that's when you really start driving. That's when it really feels you like a lot of freedom. And things aren't broken down, but working as they should work. So in Acts chapter 19, uh, we've been journeying through uh, Paul. He went through uh, modern-day Turkey. And then remember, he had the first believers in Europe, in Greece, uh, modern-day Greeks. And and so we see that Paul's making his way uh, through all that. Well, he's making his way now back to Western Turkey. Remember where the Holy Spirit told him not to go? Uh, A few weeks ago, I talked about how the Holy Spirit sometimes will tell you, don't go there. And as we listen to the Holy Spirit, he's going to guide you. Um, Well, the no wasn't never. The no was just not now. Have you ever had that in your life where God's leading you? It's not a no forever. It's just, it's a no right now. And don't try to break down a door that he's got bolted shut. It's like, it's for your good. So Paul trusted the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit's like, now you're going to go to that place that I told you a no before. So it says about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. That was what they called early Christians, and so that was a name that they gave them. And it says that a silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shinin.gs uh, of Artemis, who's a god, um, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, "You know, my friends, that we have received a good income from this business. So they just built, um, and we have uh, we've dug up through archaeology in this area." they just have clay statues of Artemis or another name for this God is Diana. Uh, And so uh, they just made these clay and metal, very, wasn't beautiful, but people would come into town and and remember this city where he's at was pretty much like the Los Angeles of those times or the New York City. Um, So a lot of people came in um, and a lot of people would travel through there. And so they'd sell these gods and that way you'd have a God with you that hopefully, you know, would help you. So that's what these guys did. He says, listen, we're all making good money, right? Doing this. So it's like a union. He's got all the union, the silversmiths. He's like, hey, we got good, good money here. And he says, and you see in verse 26, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are not gods at all. There is a danger not only that our trade will lose its name. So notice the first thing, that there was a resistance to that because it's going to cost me something. It has nothing to do if it's true or not, right? As far as like, now he's right. We're just making these things. There's nothing special about them. But he's not arguing that. It's, I have a way of life, and this other God now is going to take away from personal income. Who cares if it's true or not true? And he says, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. Again, not whether true or not, if this God even is real. It's that we have this culture. We have this identity. You gotta remember that, that this is a city that this temple that they built was one of the largest temples in the world at the time. Been there for about 400 and some odd years. It'd be destroyed 200 years later. But for now, it was the epitome of worship and it was something that everybody participated in. It was a part, so if you grew up, you went to the temple. You did your sacrifices there. They also had an area too because it was a God of uh, kind of fertility for land but also fertility for families. And so they would have prostitution there that you would pay. And so you know they had this whole cultural thing that was normalized, that was good. Everybody made money from it in one way Or another, and it says, we don't want Artemis to be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were, what? Furious. When there's resistance there, there's anger there, and there's emotion there, it tells you something deeper is going on. This is why as Christians, when we're doing outreach, we don't get caught up in the emotions of it, and we don't try to discredit someone's emotions. We have to understand where are those emotions coming from. And there's three primary areas we're going to be talking about today. There's a reason why they are furious, why they are resistant to Paul. And so they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Not necessarily arguing that because they really necessarily believed it, but it's just kind of accepted. Any of us that have grown up in a Christian home or you grew up in another home, isn't it easy just to kind of like, just accept it. Don't question it. Maybe some of us even as parents, like, you know, we get scared. Don't question it. I want to encourage you. That's important to allow our kids to question things. They need to know if it's true or not. Because if you don't have conviction in your heart, you're going to easily then leave it when it doesn't fit you. So let, let people wrestle with it. That's actually a very important thing. But I don't think they were, here they were angry. They were angry just because Artemis was a part of their culture. It says, soon the whole city was in an uproar and the, the people seized, um, G- yeah, Gaius and, uh, I don't even know how to say that. We'll call him Artie. Jeez, that's, what a name. You want to name, if any of you parents want to name your kid a freaky name, Aristarchus, Aristarchus, what is it? Aristocrat? No, that's your way off, right? <laughs> I challenge, I'll give someone $10 to name their kid that. All right, if you said it, name, you guys need to have another kid and then name them that. There you go. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm gonna call him Artie. Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul's, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. We see over and over in Acts, just so you know, constant resistance to the gospel. I don't know if you notice a pattern for Paul. Go into a city, tell him about God's love, and two things happen. You get beat up or thrown in jail. That was like a, a consistent. So if any of you are frustrated, like, I can't reach my friends, I can't, at least you're not in prison, and hopefully your friends aren't punching you in the face. Like, that's that's a and it, But it also helps us with this, because I know someone, even for myself, there's times, honestly, where I'm like, you know what, I'm tired of reaching out. I'll be very honest. If you don't want it, buddy, you don't want it, right? Or I think, I don't want to keep giving effort because they're just, the next person's going to say no, not want to come to church. And I just want you to know, no, resistance is normal. When I stop having resistance in my life, it means I'm not obeying God. And I'm becoming comfortable and compliant to the culture of don't tell us anything. And no, we're, we're to be salt and light. So yeah, we're gonna, you know, and resistance isn't we're fighting, but we're gonna be engaging and we gotta be comfortable with resistance. We're gonna have that in this world. Three reasons why, and I just kind of wanna go over that today and just, again, hopefully give you hope and encouragement in the midst of this. One is that we see that it's a spiritual battle. So one way we gotta remember is that primarily with outreach, the resistance is there's a spiritual resistance. Don't forget that Satan hates God, hates him. He rebelled, he wants to be God. And even though God has shown him, this is what your destiny is, he has so much anger. Have you seen it in your life or someone else's life where they have so much anger they can't see clearly and they do things that everybody knows destructive? Right, I had that in my life, my teenage years, like I was drinking so much parting so heavily. I had so much anger because of the chaos that I grew up in. And I knew what I was doing was destructive. I knew I wasn't going to wake up the next morning being like, well, that was healthy, right? I knew the people that I was engaging with, bad things could happen. I-, I knew that, but I'm so wrapped up in my anger with things that had happened in my life. And Satan is that way. And so in the unseen realm, the Bible says that Satan desire is to deceive. And so we have to deal with when you don't know Jesus, and I'm sorry if you come here today and you're not a follower, and you're like, are you saying I'm being deceived? Yes. Yeah. And if you like to sit down and engage and talk about that, but I also don't want to lie to you that you're not being lied to. We have to come to that understanding because I'll never come to Jesus if I believe that I have most of the truth and his truth needs to be better than my truth. What I have to come to understanding is, Maybe I've been self-deceived or deceived by someone else. And so when I view people as this, this is where looks really important. I view people as victims, not as combatants or enemies. And this is really important because we gotta be careful as a church that we don't battle our culture and view them as their evil. We need to stay away from them. They might overly influence me and my kids. They might, we gotta be careful with that. That's different than a victim because you want to go save a victim rather than, well, no, they're a combatant. I'll just let them drown. They don't have the same political ideology. They don't have the same lifestyle. They're a little crass. Drink a little bit too much. Talk a little bit too. Mmm. But if you've been lied to, then you believe that those things are okay. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this. The God of this age has what? What's that word? Blinded. Remember what Jesus constantly said, right? When the, when the Messiah comes, that he will set people free, but also that the blind will see. Why do you think Jesus had so much compassion, even to people that were um, abusive towards him, verbally and physically? Because I treat someone different if they're blind and running into things and causing commotion than someone that can see. Someone that can see, they clearly are doing it on purpose, Someone's blind, they don't know what they're doing. And any of us that accepted Jesus later on in life, it's tough when you're if you accepted Christ as a kid because you never really felt that. But those of us that didn't follow God for a while, you look back being like, I was blind. I was blind to truth, I was blind to love, I was blind to the need of a savior. I was blind to my own sin and the depth of it. We were. So it says, but the God of the sage has been has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel and the displays of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that's why the Bible encourages so much. Listen, use your words, but the, one of the best ways to be salt and light in the world is to show the character of Jesus to this world. So when the world says, I don't forgive, I give revenge, the church says, we forgive, even if it hurts deeply. In the world, it's, I'll love you if I know you, or if you love me back, and we say, we're gonna love you, even if you give us no love back. When the world, something goes wrong, they either want to blame God or blame the government or blame someone else. And we say, no, no, God will get us through anything so I can have joy even in the midst of heartache and difficulty. Do you see how it's very contrasting? Our lives should be very contrasting. They view money as something to consume. We view money as something to give away and to love others. They view church as, why would I give up two hours when I could be shopping, I could be golfing, I could be running, I could be... And we view it as this is the battery being charged up for the rest of the week, where we get to be around other people that understand the grace and the love of Jesus. It's a different perspective. So how do we help blind people see? Some of it is just your life. Show them as far as like, whoa, you are so different in the way you treat people, your character, how you handle anger how you handle money, how you handle conflict. We have a wonderful opportunity. So then I get excited when the Holy Spirit convicts me. Brian, change this, change that. And I'll be like, oh, I'm such a horrible sinner. No, thank you, Jesus. Because he's like, I want to change you so the light can shine brighter, so the scales can come off the eyes of those who are blind. And they see Jesus in us. They don't see the fullness of Jesus, but they begin to see Jesus in us and they pursue Jesus themselves. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that it is a spiritual battle and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as the angel of light. A lot of times when we talk about like Satan kind of deceiving people, it's again, we have this perception of Satan. It's like, you know, yeah, they're following Satan because they have a Satanic tattoo and they're listening to music. that's like, you know, that's Satanic. It's like, no, what's Satanic is? Is anything that keeps me from trusting Jesus. And one of the main ways he does that is to make us believe things that seem like a good thing, a better option than Jesus, not necessarily a bad thing. And so one way we're gonna get resistance is just people don't see it the same way, and so there's a spiritual battle there. So we pray during that spiritual battle and then we use our character to shine brightly into their lives. A second thing is just a, a personal resistance. I lose something or someone if I follow Jesus. I don't know if you've experienced that. I lose something or someone when I follow Jesus. I like my friends. And I know it's not good, or I, I, I know they bring me down, or I know I... It's tough. It, it's really hard to lose friends. Or maybe even lose family. It's like, oh, why are you getting religious? Why are you getting into Jesus? Or That's a difficult thing. We have to recognize as Christians that We give up something when we follow Jesus. We just believe that we get something better back in Christ. But initially, there can be a lot of resistance there, and that can take time for someone to really process, do I really want to lose this in order to to follow Jesus? Remember, in Ephesus, they were losing their income, and that was a big deal to them. And everybody has something that's a big deal as far as what keeps them from following Jesus. I I noticed in college, I, I engage in a lot of debates um, just because there's that college environment. So I'd be in classroom, and I just love trying to poke and prod and see if someone really believes something. And so, um, and I had a great time. It wasn't always a bad thing. There'd be time I'd, you know, I was in college, and I could tell someone was really curious. I'd, you know, hey, you want to hang out or way to a cafeteria and go and, and talk to them about it and things like that. One of the things I noticed, though, is that very rarely was it truly an intellectual battle. Like they might say it is like, well, I think there's reasons why there isn't a God. Even professors within a class, I could begin to poke calls being like, mm, I don't think it's an intellectual thing. I remember one teacher, it's like, well, I believe in science. And I said, well, can you tell me what's more scientific than if something's created, there's a creator? Can you show me in this world where something's created and there's no creator and it happened randomly? Nothing, silence. Well, no, God being real is actually very scientific because if we're created and we're complex beings, scientifically, there's nothing complex that comes together randomly. I know I'm losing some of you, but some of you are geeked up right now. You know what I mean? I'm like, don't tell me that. Well, I believe in science. Great, then you should believe in God, because he's very scientific. And what I found is it really isn't about science. As I got into conversations, almost all of them, there was something they didn't want to give up. Well, if I become a Christian, we'll have to stop cussing. I mean, sometimes even dumb things. I'm like, No, I'll give you that one. You know, it's like, really? Is this what we're talking about? If we're going to use the S word or, you know, you say damn or things like that, it's like, is this what we're really debating? But people are really like, you know, but we have to be mindful of that. And so that's why it's not like you you share with someone or, hey, come to church. I got to give up a Sunday morning. I don't know who I'm hanging out with. What if they're weird? Some of you have that question, right? Access, are they weird? Are they cult? What are we doing here, right? We just gotta be mindful of that. And so it's a little bit, it's a little bit, it's a little bit. And find out what they're losing. And the key thing is, what we wanna show people is Jesus is better than whatever you're gonna lose. Jesus is better than whatever you're gonna lose. So don't get caught in these intellectual arguments and, you you know, is evolution real? And how did the world come to be? No, no, no. I just want you to know, don't get in, The main argument is this, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he loves you, and that he's better than the life you would choose for yourself? Always bring it back to that. All those other arguments, just so you know, they're useless, Um, and that's how Satan deceives by getting people on these little side arguments. doesn't matter. Comes down, is Jesus real, did he die and rise again, and do you believe he's a good God? Let's start there. That's a great way, so always redirect it back to that because then you have to deal with what are they losing? that then they don't wanna lose because they're gonna to have to follow Jesus. It can be a difficult thing. I remember one guy I was talking to, this was at one of the first churches I worked at, and he was living with a, a, a woman. And um, it took about almost a year of meeting as far as his whole thing is, she doesn't wanna to come to church, She's not happy that I'm been, he's just was dabbling, kind of coming to church, things like that. In fact, at times he, he would show up to group and, and he'd be like, uh, be like, oh, does she know you're here? He's like, mm, I told her I was somewhere Like he was really, really scared, right? But he didn't want to be lonely. And so would I have to lose her and would I have to, now here's the thing we've got to be careful of is sometimes Christians, we try to act like you don't have to lose anything except Jesus. Don't lie to people. You can keep getting drunk; it's all good. You don't think, don't, don't. You're not being like you're not authentically bringing Jesus. Because if they, if it takes nothing to sacrifice to accept Jesus, then it takes nothing to sacrifice to even follow Him. Everything takes sacrifice. It's just is it worth it? Right. That's it. And I go, I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe God's going to use you to bring her to Him. But if or but if not, are you willing to? Took him about a year. I Also said this, just pray. Now, some of this is really important because when someone doesn't accept Jesus right away, we can judge them. Or we'd be like, well, if you're a Christian, you need to break up right now. You need to move out right now. Give people time, right? Did Jesus do that? Did he show up on day one? I'm the King, King, Lord, Lord. Follow me right now, follow me right now. Okay, three days later, he's up in heaven, done. No, he spent three years Three years and you notice how many times he was frustrated? Like, oh my god, you guys don't get it. Oh my god, you guys, get that. God, why am I here? God, the Father, why you know, just be patient. Three years. Eventually, the scales fell off the eyes. He didn't have the courage to break up with her. So I said, why don't you pray that she has the courage to break up with you then? And it, and it did. She's like, I don't want to be part of this and you become a Christian. God works even within our weaknesses. Now, should, have he, should he have had the courage? Yes. But Jesus works in our weakness. Got involved in church. He was lonely. But God is good. Just trust, 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 trust. And I had the privilege of marrying him and his new wife who was a Christian. Seeing them have kids. And when I left the church, they were flourishing. You trust Jesus. And whatever you sacrifice, he's gonna give you more than you can imagine. Don't lie to people. Be honest with them. The truth will set them free. Thank you. All right. So remember, there's personal loss. So there's gonna be resistance with people. It's not gonna be quick. And we all have experienced that. The third thing is that we have a, a cultural resistance that all of us grew up in a family culture or maybe some of us grew up in a different religious culture or, or just even our American culture that provides resistance, right? What's the American culture of Christianity? God will give you everything you want and desire, right? You get a full head of hair again. Your teeth will be white. You'll have health and wealth and this and that. It's the American, Right? But God also wants to be independent. Don't take any baloney from anybody. That's the American Christianity, right? It's like, no, that's not Christianity at all, actually, right? And so we grew up in certain cultures that provide resistance or maybe some of his family culture. Um, What Paul had to realize is that Artemis was deeply rooted and is multi-generational. So if I were to give up and follow Jesus, I'd be disobeying my parents, my grandparents, and my great-grandparents, that's a huge cultural shift. And so know there's a cultural resistance. Christianity is not um, America. We've got we to really understand that. So there's a cultural resistance, but it's also there's a cultural resistance to, depending on how people grew up and what their parents said about that. Even if you didn't like your parents, it influences you because you grew up in that culture. Because even if something's dysfunctional, which you'll find with most of us, even if it's dysfunctional, if it's comfortable, many of us will stay with it. Have you noticed that in your life? Even if it's dysfunctional, if it's comfortable, I'm going to just stick with it. And I hated that my dad was angry, but that's the only way I started to deal with conflict, so I'm just going to stick with it, even though I hated it, right? So it could be eating, or it could be the way we interact, or things like that. So understand that there's a, a strong cultural tie that can provide resistance So, and this is why I told you a few weeks ago, get to know people before you try to really reach them for Jesus. Do you know what the person are gonna lose? Do you know their cultural influences? Ask questions and just, you know, that really helps with really trying to figure out how to reach someone. Um, I remember there was a a woman named Michelle and uh, she came to our church and just loved it right away. You can see Jesus just capture her heart right away. You You just see it. Like within the first few weeks, she's crying like, during sermons, even in our announcements, she was crying, you know, just like, you know, Connection Group signups, oh, I love Connection Group, you know, she just, God was working on her, um, and so we were super excited, and I'm like, hey, you know, Jesus says one of the first things to do is, you know, get baptized to really um, show others what's already happening in your heart, but he really wants you to publicly proclaim, because you need to have that courage, because then, you know, it really shows that you've, Giving your life to Jesus, and so trying that through, and I could tell there was like, uh, and she kept being like, "How about this date?" She's like, "Eh," and kept canceling things, and I said, "Hey, I don't want to pressure you, like, but just help me understand, like, what's going on." Well, she grew up in a very dominant Catholic family, and what I found out was her mom was saying it's not a real baptism if it's not in the Catholic Church. And when that didn't work, you know what her mom said? "We're no longer going to speak if you do that." Can you imagine the amount of shame and the amount of, well, what is that? It's that cultural thing. But again, don't lie to someone being like, well, maybe God's just saying don't get baptized. No. You know what God was saying? Jesus is greater than your mom who had dominated her life, told her what to do, how to do it. And here's the thing. Her mom was right a lot of the time. I'll, I'll be honest. Her mom was, she got stuff done, but she was wrong about Jesus. And I'm not saying all Catholics, are, don't. I'm not saying that But this family, she got Jesus wrong because she thought Catholicism was just about say your prayers, go to a particular church, and you're saved no matter what you do the other six days a week. That's not Jesus. That type of Catholicism. So rather than being like, ah, don't worry about it, or we'll sprinkle you in private, I'll spray you, you know, down the hallway or something, and, you know, bless, you know. You guys, don't, don't give people the full Jesus and make sure you have the full Jesus. That's what sets people free. And I said, hey, I I could be wrong, Michelle, but let me show you some Bible verses. I feel like what Jesus is saying is your first step of faith is not just to accept Jesus, but prioritize Jesus over your mom. I'm just gonna give this to you, right? Not forcing, we're not trying to make, take your time with people. Remember in Acts, we read it in five minutes, just so you know, you know how many years Paul's in Ephesus? A couple years, this didn't happen overnight. Everything takes time. Everything takes time. It took her a couple months, you guys. No baptism, no bat. And I kind of like, and I almost, I'll be honest, she would even share this later. She goes, I felt my faith kind of fading a little bit. Not a lot, but she'd still show up to church, but she wasn't raising her hands like she used to worship. The emotion was a little bit, you could tell us our and she knew it. My light's fading because there's a spiritual battle, there's a cultural battle, there's a personal battle of loss with my mom. What if my mom follows through? So proud of her. Got baptized two months later. Cut off from her family. But I said, it won't always be that way. Watch what Jesus does. It took about, I don't know, a year or two years, reconciliation, and her mom eventually capitulated, you know, started you know, um, interacting again and having real things like that. And what I want to encourage us with this, Proverbs 21, 31, remember this. It says, the horse is made ready for battle, but victory belongs to God. You don't reach people for Jesus, just so you know. And your success is not that they've come to church or they fully accept Jesus. That's not your job. That's God's job. Your job is just to participate when he calls you to prepare things for battle. Prepare their minds, prepare their hearts, show a loving Christian, just play your role. Because I believe many times we won't know when we succeed in someone following Jesus. I believe most of the time we don't know. I just want to help some of you that maybe are burdened or frustrated, like, Brian, this, is, this mission thing's difficult. I'm not seeing a lot of success. That's normal. I'm getting a lot of resistance, a lot of no's. That's normal. I just want you to know that. But victory belongs to God, not to us. Resistance doesn't mean failure. It means progress and obedience. We're gonna have it in our lives. When you don't have it, that's when I would be more scared that we're not really obeying God and participating with him. And I just want you to know this. Some of us come here today, you're gonna personally have resistance. Some of us have personal resistance to Jesus. I just wanna recognize that. And in some sense, that's okay. Because you're in a spiritual battle, you're probably in a personal battle, and you might even be in a cultural battle. I just want you to know where those battles are taking place. But I also want you to know that Jesus, Jesus is worth it when you just let off that emergency brake, let go of the resistance, and trust him. He's a good God. You know, my life... Um, I had much resistance. I grew up with uh, three dads. A lot of chaos, a lot of instability. Moved 17 times in 15 years. So never developed friendships, long lasting. Uh, None of my friends were Christians. So any kind of good friends that didn't come from the church came from people that weren't a part of the church. And they were good people. So when we talked about, oh, the evil people don't hang around non-Christians, I'm like, "Mine, mine are good. Right? And then... Because there was so much chaos, I got so much into sports that sports were my identity. And not just sports, but I got my identity from accomplishing and achieving. Because the only way I could get my dad's attention was to win something. And I'm talking, it was at a level that when I got second, I didn't get attention. So even second, being in sports wasn't good enough. When? And why didn't you win? And what do you need to do to, okay, okay, And at the time, I can't put it all together. I wasn't like, oh, I'm in a personal cultural battle, right? You can't do that. And I'm sure to those people that God used along the way, say, prepare the horse for battle. In fact, Brian's not a horse. He's more like a donkey. But prepare the donkey for battle, right? Because victory will belong with God because I was very stubborn. But I look back now and seeing how God used different people and they probably thought, boy, that did nothing. I remember a Christian soccer coach who wrote a verse on on a plaque but he was one of the most loving coaches. And at that level that I was playing at, the coaches were very harsh and very demanding. And he was just always loving. He was my first coach that never yelled. or when I made a mistake, didn't yell at me. And then he, he wrote that verse and I just thought, man, I wonder if that guy viewed coaching as being a missionary rather than being a coach. He was so different. But you know what? My life didn't change. My life didn't change yet, but it was preparing the horse for battle. And I remember, too, that um, my mom, because she was so busy, and again, dad sometimes were in and out of the picture. We had different babysitters, and some were horrible. (laughs) But I remember one Christian lady, and maybe some of you remember, she used to sing this song called El Shaddai by Amy Grant. And she played on the piano, she had a beautiful voice. And I wonder if she thought herself not as a babysitter, but a missionary. But you know when she was playing those Christian songs, it's not like I'm like, oh, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I was still the same, but preparing the donkey for battle. <laughs> I still didn't get it yet, but I have that memory, that beautiful, her beautiful voice being used to impact me. A wonderful, loving coach being used to be like, mm, something's different. I, I need something different than what I have at home. I remember one time, you guys, it's weird. Don't ever minimize how God wants to use you. I remember one time being in the car, and we were driving to soccer practice, and this kid was a Christian, and I remember just being in the car, and there's something about the vibe of the dad, but he put on, I remember he listened to Christian radio, because it was one of the first times I didn't listen to Christian music. And so, he just played, and the way he interacted with his son was just so kind. Just being in a car ride, I'll never forget that guy. And I'm sure he didn't, like, unload us and be like, oh, I just reached that kid for Christ. Probably didn't, but... By him listening to Christian music and treating his son a loving way, I didn't see that. I was like, "Oh, that's how a dad interacts with a "-uh." preparing the horse for battle, but victory belongs to God, and victory to God came at the age of 17. And God probably used 100 missionaries just you know to reach me. And 99 of them failed. But the one that took me to Alberto's and bought me a burrito, that's the one that won, right? So you might be part of the 99 but don't give up because the horse is being prepared for battle. And when God wants the victory, it's his. And God took mine at 17. I wish I could go back and thank every single Christian that did a little thing. I'm glad they obeyed Jesus, but they had to work through a lot of personal stuff. I didn't want to give up. I didn't want to give up the anger. The anger is what drove me to win. I didn't want to give up the drinking because that's the only time I felt like close with people is when we were drunk. I didn't want to give up the friends because we had a lot of memories. And I don't want to say, that, hey, I can't hang out with you in that environment. But I'm thankful people were patient with me. It takes time. There's resistance. Don't be defeated in resistance. Just stick to being obedient and realizing that resistance is actually a good thing. We're going to bring the worship team up right now. and. I just pray you're encouraged as we worship God, that he's a good God. He's a God that gets victory, and that's not your worry. I also want to give you hope here that as we worship, that maybe some of you are feeling resistance in your own life. You're like, man, I'm driving with the emergency brake on. I just want to encourage you, let go of that brake. Whatever you have to give up personally, culturally, the spiritual battle that you're in, just so you know that Jesus came to give sight to the blind. Satan can't keep you blinded. Just repent. Trust him. Give him your life. It is 100% worth it. We have communion if you want to just recognize at any point during worship who Jesus is and giving your love to him. And so I just encourage you, whether you want to do it by yourself and maybe talk to Jesus personally, or maybe you want to do it with a group of family or even with some friends around you, just pray together. But this is a time just for us to uh, let God strengthen us, encourage us, and maybe speak to us to get ready for this week and what he has. Jesus, you are so good. And I thank you that you are patient. You were speaking to me over and over for 17 years and I wasn't listening. Well, I kind of was. But you broke me down like you always do. You chased me down. And I'm just thankful for the Christians that you put in my life. Because I know they probably thought like, boy, this, this dude's going straight to hell. There's no hope.
1: And they were wrong.
0: And I pray that we would be wrong and be how we assume certain people. I pray we wouldn't attack our culture, but we would love our culture to be salt light. I pray that we wouldn't view people as combatants, but as victims to be saved and to be loved and be nurtured, be drawn in. Give us patience, God. Give us persistence to never tire. And we feel resistance. And I pray for some of us that come here and there hasn't been victory yet in our life. We haven't given our lives to you, Jesus. We've been resistant. God, I pray that we let go of that emergency break and just give our lives to you, realizing whatever we lose, we're gonna gain way more in this life and in the next life by trusting you, Jesus. and praising your name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to gotoaccesschurch.com.